God, our Creator, when you speak, there is light and life. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we may listen to one another, speak the truth in love, and bear much fruit in the service of your kingdom through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Uh, this week we're continuing what we did last week and doing something more Advent-related than um, um, following on in um, Acts as we've been doing. And this week our talking about special visitors to the newborn, a special newborn. And um, when John and I talked, we were originally going to just do the uh, wise men. And as I thought about it more, there were really two sets of visitors, both the shepherds and the wise men. And um, so I've decided to include them both. So what I'd like for us to do is to read um, both the uh, story of the shepherds from Luke and then the story of the uh, Magi and Matthew together, then, which is similar to what we'll do next week. And at this point, I'll put in a little note for next week. We're going to be doing what we've done um, for the last several uh, years on the uh, fourth Sunday in Advent, which is uh, nine lessons um, we used to call it Nine Lessons Without Carols. Now we call it Nine Lessons Stringing Pearls and look for the real gems in that story uh, that we get in the lesson. So I uh, would encourage um, everybody to try to put that on your calendar because I think it's a special one that uh, we do each year as a reminder of really what Christmas is. But in looking at uh, these stories today about the visitors, if someone would be kind enough to read first, it would be Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. It's a bit long, but if you would, I'd appreciate it. And then somebody else read Matthew chapter 3, 1 through 12. Okay. Which one are you going to do, Luke or Matthew? Okay. And somebody would do Matthew... Uh, Matthew 3, verses 1 through 12 will be our second reading. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 12. I think it's actually Matthew. Two. Matthew 2. Matthew 2. Okay. Thank you. John the Baptist's story. So. Okay, well, see, we did that last week. That's still right. on my mind. Um, so, chapter 2 in each one of them. Okay, Mike Stein. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the ch this child. 
And all who heard it wondered at the wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the hand of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me, that I might come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. Then when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Thank you. The birth of Jesus was really obscure, really unknown, even though the prophets had told people where the Christ would be born in Bethlehem. But it was a small town. It was about six miles south of Jerusalem, and it was just, you know, at best we call it a village now. It would be one of those, uh, well, they got one stoplight as you go through type place. It was just small. And so to have, you know, a king come from there in some ways was more than they could handle. Of course, that's where David was born, and that was the great king that they knew but still, Bethlehem was this, you know, while it was close, it was really an out-of-the-way town. So it was obscure. You know, he came and his own didn't receive him. And it was, that's a perfect indication that, you know, nobody knew about it and, except certain groups. And then, you know, it, it shows how he humbled himself to come into a situation that's not like what you expect of a king. You know, when, um, what's his name, Prince George was born to, uh, um, over there, I mean, how much was going on, you know, in London? I mean, it was a big thing when, you know, I mean, just when Kate was pregnant, everybody, you know, it was news at least once a week here. You can imagine what it was over in England. And so nothing like that for Jesus. It was just, at best, a non-event. And so, but certain people knew about it. The shepherds were out doing what shepherds do. They were out with their sheep. They'd guard them at night because typically, um, 
the certain periods of the year, they just wouldn't bring them in. They would stay out with them and uh, maybe bring them all together. Several uh, shepherds would bring their various flocks together and kind of commonly watch over them uh, during the night to protect them. And angels appeared. Angels were something that the Jews were used to talking about. But then with the um, Magi, we call them the wise men sometimes, other times uh, the Magi, they were astrologers. They were in the East. They were magicians. And so when they saw a star that was like, not like anything they'd seen before, they got to wondering about it. So God was really speaking to these two groups and the ways that they understood that brought them. And then there were two other people, we're not talking about them other than to mention them, that were Simeon and Anna that saw them in the temple when the, uh, Jesus was brought um, after eight days, which was typical uh, of a newborn, firstborn son. They knew who he was, but here again, Nobody took notice except those that God allowed to really see and send a message to. And so we have the shepherds out, um, as I said, doing what shepherds do. And you have to think, now shepherds were kind of the low of the low on the totem pole with the Jews. They were um, basically ceremonially unclean just because they dealt with animals all day. And... Um, their work that they did was, you know, yes, they're Jews, but oh, they're shepherds. And so they're out. And an angel comes to them. And it caught their attention. It, the sky lit up. And they took notice. Uh, yes, they were a bit surprised, but, you know, they were awake. They're keeping watch. So they're not, you know, somebody... We'll talk about uh, having a dream and, you know, maybe God spoke to him or, you know, you need to look about Scrooge in A Christmas Carol. You know, he had this kind of dream, but, you know, he was kind of dazed and wasn't sure what was going on. The shepherds were awake. They knew what was happening. And they listened to what the angel told them. And it, it, it impacted them. But to bring it home... A chorus showed up. It, got, it wasn't just one angel now. It was the sky was full of angels, and they were singing. So if there was any little bit of doubt with one saying it, now you got the whole sky full of it. And it says that, you know, the angel says, will be for all people. Now, we talked last week with John the Baptist. He proclaimed that the Christ was coming for all people. So we hear another, you know, that just adds to what John the Baptist was saying. You know, the message is this Savior, this King, this Messiah is for all people. You can't guard it to yourselves. And then, you know, it, it talks about um, he's... Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. They were told where to go. It wasn't like at the big house on the left corner. You know, it's going to be in a manger. So that's behind a house. That's a stable. That's the feeding trough. 
And so they were told kind of how to look. And being a small town, they probably knew there are not a lot of places that have got a manger to go look in Bethlehem. Small town, small options. And so they went. And they're told to be, you know, that there's going to be, uh, you know, peace. Giving God the glory. There'll be peace on earth. It's a peace of salvation that they are getting. It's not peace like sitting down and negotiating with your political enemy. Uh, it, it's more peace between man and God. There's been a big chasm, God here, man here. And there was no way to bridge the gap. And now with this peace, the gap can be bridged. And then it's to give who the glory. It's give God the glory. Give back to God what he's given, thanks to him for what he's given to us. And then when the angels leave, what do they do? They talk among themselves, kind of like a consultation. Okay, did you hear what I heard? And they all agree, yes. And they agree they need to do something now. It's not, well, we'll wait a morning. And then we'll go. It's, we got to go now. This is something that is important. The angel has come and told us we need to go and go now. And so they left. And they found Mary and Joseph and the babe. And they were excited. And then what did they, they shared? They obviously shared what had happened. The shepherds told Mary and Joseph, what they had experienced, what had brought them there. This wasn't the, you know, the ladies in the neighborhood that come by and visit and every time there's a newborn. These were shepherds coming. But they had gotten a message totally different than, you know, the blue ribbon or the pink ribbon on the mailbox. <laughs> they were, you know, the angels had told them and they had come immediately. And so when Mary hears this, and they probably shared with the shepherds, too, what God had done in their lives. You know, between Mary being blessed to be the mother of the Christ child, Joseph having been told what had happened, don't worry about it, because normally in that period of time when you were engaged, it's more like being married, but you hadn't had the ceremony. So with her becoming pregnant, that was just rules for divorce, send her own. And he had been told not to work, and he didn't. So then when the shepherds come, tell them their story, it just adds confirmation to what had been going on, what they had been told, you know, nine months before. So they were hearing, and so what happens with Mary? She treasured all those things, and she pondered them. She meditated on them, you know, those... You know, she's starting to see a little bit more about this child is really special. And therefore, we need to do what God's called us to do. Um, and then the shepherds leave glorifying and praising God. I mean, they were excited. You know, they had gotten to come. They had been privileged to be some of, some of if not the first, to see this new king. 
you know, with uh, here again, uh, Prince George, all the photographers and the media were outside of the hospital for the whole time. Um, he and his mother were there, and the you know, as soon as she walks out to get in the car, the flashes start going off. Well, that wasn't happening here. They were the first. They didn't read it in the media. They heard it from the angels. And so they were excited to go out and tell people. Now, if shepherds come and tell you something exciting's happened, you know, that's kind of like almost, uh, I got to thinking, maybe the guys you see along the road picking up litter. They came and told you something exciting like that, most of us would probably go, yeah, right. I mean, because it's just, you know, the credibility of them you just question. Okay, yes, I know that Bethlehem is where the Christ child is supposed to be born, but, you know, there'd be something big going on because that's going to be a king. That's what they expected. All the Jews did was a kingly birth, not this manger, this stable birth, a very humble beginning. But that's Christ humbling himself. And so most of them didn't even take notice. And it didn't even make it up, the news make it up to uh, Jerusalem, six miles away. Yes, Mary? Uh, it just made me think about how Herod took notice to the point that he killed all of the the babies that Rachel um, killed all the firstborn, you know, the sons. Right. Because yeah. he was trying to get Jesus, but Jesus was in another spot. Right. Somehow or another, somebody, because who was it that he told to go and see him and to come back and report? That was the, the wise man. man. Right. So um, he got wind of something, and it was serious enough that he... Well, the wise man came to him. They, the wise man came and asked, where has where he been born? And then he said, go and come back report. So he must, have, he must have picked up on something. Well, they went, you know, in, in jumping to Matthew. He, when the wise men came, they weren't sure exactly what was going on, but they, knew, they would have known enough about Judaism because they were the scholarly people in the East, which was viewed... Um, as Arabia, probably Babylon, uh, that they would have known, you know, if nothing else, the Jews had been there in Babylon for some period of time, uh, and Daniel had made his uh, interpretation of visions. So they would have known something. So if you, if you know that this is probably a sign that a king has been born, well, where would you go? You'd go to the, like, the capital city. You know, what is the most important place in Jerusalem, in Israel? Jerusalem. So you start asking around, well, Herod's going to hear about it. He calls in his, uh, calls the priest and the scribes in to want to know what's going on because Herod's troubled by it. And really the whole town of Jerusalem is troubled by it. Well, Herod's troubled by it because it's the 35th year of his reign. And he's, you know, been well established and he's looking to, not the king of the Jews, it's going to be the children of Herod who's going to take over. You know, and, and he did somewhat start a lineage, but his kingdom was broken up between several of his children. And um, so he asked, you know, what's going on? 
the Jews were a little concerned because this potentially was going to disturb the political balance that the, the priest had really worked to balance out with Rome and with Herod. And they told him. They all agreed. It's from Bethlehem. That's what we've been told. And it wasn't any other place. So what's interesting is Herod called him in secret to visit with him. Because, you know, the, the easier thing for Herod to probably have done is, hey, I'll get an interrogation. We'll get you down there. We'll lead you down. So, you know, or send spies to follow him to see where they went. You know, but he called him and said, here's what I want you to do. When you find him, come back and tell me. So I can worship him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, you know, it's interesting the way he went about doing it because, you know, he'd had enough people to, you know, lead them down there, make sure they got there. Nobody bothered them along the way. And, you know, so Herod wouldn't have picked up on it when the shepherds were saying it because it's viewed as being that Mary and Joseph stayed in Bethlehem for up to two years after Jesus was born. And, and, they, and so while, you know, in the way we celebrate Christmas and all, Epiphany supposedly is when we say the, the wise men came, and that's 12 days later, it wasn't that tightly compacted. Because uh, if nothing else, the wise men would have had to have started out. It, if they came from up in Babylon, it's probably 800 miles away. And, um, you know, some days you could make more mileage than others, but just assuming 20 miles a day, that's 40 days. So if it was to happen 12 days later, they would have had to have started 28 days early on the trip to get down there, and they'd have had to have been moving pretty quickly. And it's viewed that they being wise men and scholarly, it just wasn't a small group. I mean, we, we talk in terms of the wise men being three because of the number of the gifts, but I was reading in Matthew Henry, and he made the comment that some of the ancients viewed that there could have been actually as many as 14. So and there was... Caravan too. They had, that's right. They had, you know, being the scholarly types, they weren't going to be cooking supper at night right. when they camped. Wealthy, yeah, yeah they <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> they got better things to do. And, you know, they had cam... You know, yeah, they probably had, they had camels because that was the pack animal of the day. And um, totally as a side note, a guy is, is trying to walk follow the... Um, where it's viewed that Eden might have been in uh, Eastern Africa and is trying to walk in effect all the way to the tip of South America. But the cover of the National Geographic right now is this man walking and two camels following him. So I mean still today, yeah. that's the pack animal of choice. Um, and so it, there was an entourage, that was, I mean it was a group, it was a caravan. Uh, it wasn't just the picture we see on Christmas cards and, and whatnot like that. There, there was a big group going down. But the news wouldn't have really reached up, you know, what the shepherds were saying. You know, uh, I was thinking that when I was growing up, I lived in a small town in Mississippi, West Point, Mississippi, and it had a distinction back at the time. You know, there were probably 10,000 people in West Point, and it was the smallest town in the country with a daily newspaper. Well, something that would have been printed in the Daily Times later in West Point 
wouldn't have made it to the New York Times. <laughs> you know, it just wouldn't have happened. Well, even though it's just, you know, six to eight miles between Jerusalem and Bethlehem, here again, that's just not news that, yeah, okay, shepherds talked about it and it would just been totally discounted in Bethlehem. It wouldn't have even gotten out of town because they wouldn't have been wanted to be embarrassed by, you know, they talk about them being the country bumpkins to begin with and now they're saying the king of the Jews has been born here and we were told by shepherds. Uh, it just, the credibility would have been totally lost. And so, but the shepherds knew what they had seen and they went about glorifying God. So then when, as I say, the, the uh, wise men got started following, got down to where they were going in Jerusalem, you know, it, it bothered everybody in town when they came and wanted to know where the Christ was. Herod was an uh, Edomite. He wasn't even Jewish. But he, you know... He wanted his family to continue and, you know, kind of hope maybe the Jews had forgotten about this person, king of the Jews. Um, and so he was troubled. Here's somebody that's a political, you know, potentially a political rival. That's what, you know, when they talked about the king of the Jews coming, the Christ and the Messiah, for the most part, they were thinking an earthly king. They weren't thinking what actually happened. You know, Christ came down. The angels came from heaven. Christ came down from heaven. Christ came in a very humble way. They were thinking it would be spectacular. You know, the Jews thought, man, all the rest of the world's going to know and we're going to be on the top of the ladder like Rome thinks they are. And that's not what was happening. So here again, when even if it was heard in Jerusalem when the Christ child was born, what had happened, they go, no, they got it wrong. If he's the king, he's not going to have been born in a stable. That's just, that's the wrong place. And so Herod wants to find, because he's upset about what's going on. You know, I'm the king and here's a potential rival that's been born and he's not of my family. And Herod had a real reputation for killing rivals, even if he thought his own sons. He killed several of them and a wife because he thought they were trying to take some of his power. And so if this person that was to be named and was to be the king of the Jews, he had no, it was no big deal to him to kill him. I mean, he killed his own children, his wife, so killing some firstborn male children down in Bethlehem was, just go do it, guys. And it wasn't a big thing to a guy that's merciless. And as I said a while ago, you know, it's interesting that he called them secretly. You know, God really was protecting Jesus and his parents because there were a lot of things. Being king, Herod had a lot of access to a lot of different uh, men that could have gone down there and just, as I said, followed the wise men to Bethlehem, helped take them down. They'd know exactly where it was and could have taken care of the dirty deed as soon as the wise men 
count on their camels to head out. Um, but he didn't do it. God was protecting there from the beginning. It says in the uh, earlier in the prophecy that it uh, a king would come from Bethlehem, but this is thinking about a, a stable or a, a manger. Well, see, David had come. The great king David was from Bethlehem. They knew and had been told that the seed of David would become king. So everything pointed to Bethlehem, and that's why the Jewish, the priests and the scribes, when Herod asked, they knew exactly what to say. You know, they knew what was in Micah. They knew that David's seed would become king, but they expected a king, say, like Solomon. Yeah. And, and Joseph was back in Bethlehem because of the census where you returned to your family home. home. That's right. So. There, were, there was reasons to be there. And, you know, he just stayed. But the Christ child was there. He was born, and Jesus was being raised. And Herod was going to just squash it. But anyway, so the star had probably... When they got to Jerusalem, may not may or may not have been as bright because you know it led them, and the closer they got to Jerusalem, the more they probably figured out what was going on. Um, and so, you know, it didn't take them right to Bethlehem, but then the star moved them down the road and got them into Bethlehem because they followed it. And when it came to rest over the place where the child was, they were excited. They with exceeding joy. And they went into the house and saw Mary and his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. You know, now, it makes no comment about when, you know, Herod came to them, not them to Herod. Um, and, you know, whether they bowed down and worshipped him or not, we don't know, but it's very specific here. They bowed down to this child. They knew, maybe they didn't fully appreciate King of the Jews, but they knew he was important. They knew. Don't you think maybe, I mean, were they worshiping him as King of the Jews? Not his son, the son of God. I mean, they couldn't have. Well, I think you're right, because they men from the east actually came down and paid homage to David and to Solomon. Yeah. So, you know, their you forefathers... kingly gifts that you... That's right. And they... Um, so paying homage to a king in Jerusalem was something that had happened before with their forefathers, potentially. Um, and then it offered him gifts. And, you know, we, this is... Since there are three gifts mentioned, that's where the number three comes for the wise men of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And, you know, we, we a lot of times talk about gold for the king. Frankincense is an incense rep, that was a, the one that was burned on the altar. And then myrrh that was frequently used for embalming. But I, I like what Matthew Henry had to say. We need to get away from the three gifts and what they were in, in some ways, and focus on they were valuable gifts. They were giving them things that were of high value. 
things, you know, what we need to give to God are those things that are most valuable to us. And like in the case of the rich young ruler that went to Christ and said, what do I need to do? And he said, give it all away, then follow me. And he went the other way. He couldn't let go. So it's, it's you know, from our standpoint, it's not giving gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It's giving something that is of really great value to us. And, you know, it can be, as the rich young ruler was told to do, or the one that said, well, I got to go back and, you know, deal with my parents. And, you know, it's, it's that laundry list of what is important to us that we have to give up. And so they were giving something, whether it was the most valuable thing to them or not, it was still something that was of value. You know, I don't care if you've got a lot of gold, giving some of that gold up <laughs> probably wasn't the first thing on your list. But when you're paying homage, it's something you feel drawn to do. And that's what they were doing. And then they were warned. How they were warned it was in a dream. And they responded. They could have easily gotten up and gone back through Jerusalem, but you know, more than likely, since Bethlehem is south and they want to go north, they've probably got to go out of their way to go back differently. But they responded. And they did what they were directed to do. So I think it's just interesting that as we look, who are the two groups of people that came to see the newborn? We have lowly Jews and the shepherds, and we have Gentiles from the east. Because the shepherds were told, this child is for all. This new king is for all men. And will bring peace. And so reached out to lowly Jews, not scholarly Jews, not high priests, but shepherds, and then effectively magicians. That's what magi means. They were Jews. And so, yeah, the priests, they were Gentiles, they were magicians. And if you think uh, uh, back in, uh, uh, in Acts, where uh, Simeon, uh, the, the magician, uh, wanted those same powers of laying on hands and all that. That was pretty cool, so he wanted that power. Well, you know, they practiced some of that stuff as magi and magicians, so that was probably the first, in some ways, a defeat of Satan by Christ because they knew something was going on that was greater than their power. And they responded. Yes, Ron. I'm just curious how you, from a practical standpoint, you mentioned paying homage and give some of her. Then on the other hand, not on the other hand, but you also have the biblical instructions of, of the tithe. Do you see, are these, is that two ways of saying the same thing? Or are they related? Or I just. Well, I see it, it of giving up something that, that's important to you is. I think to me a bit different. We're giving a tithe because we're asked and told to give. And, uh, you know, a tithe for, you know, one person, you know, the widow. She gave and it hurt. Mm -hmm. 
because that's what she felt led to do. But others giving 10% might not hurt. You know, if I had made $10 million a year, you know, giving up a million probably ain't going to hurt me that bad. But, you know. So that's what, is that what, that's saying tithe is not enough. Well, no, no, that's not what I'm saying. We're, we're commanded to give that, and for people maybe lower on the ladder, it hurts more. But here, it's like the, the, the young ruler. He was told to give up his riches because that was so important to him. I mean, he, because he, in effect, worshipped his money. And so he had to give up what he was worshipping before he could effectively follow Jesus. Okay, and so here, it's not necessarily that these wise men, these magi, were giving up something so valuable to them because they weren't going to follow him. They went back home. They just recognized he was important, and in paying homage... You give something valuable to you from yourself. So like in my case, I was thinking about, you know, something that's kind of valuable to me is I've got the, the bed and the dresser and the armoire, the bed in which my grandmother was born. So it belonged to my great-grandparents. I mean, that's something that's important to me. So that would be, you know, I don't worship it, but it's something that's important and I feel strongly about it because I think it's kind of an honor to have. But to let go of something, I'd feel it. I'd know it. I'd feel it in here. I wouldn't feel it in my pocketbook. I, I think that maybe this gets back more of the Cain and Abel thought process. You give Good. something, you give your first fruits, give something that is valuable as opposed to just giving some of what you have. Yeah, uh, that's a good... Well, what about Abraham? Okay. No. He had directed him to do it, but as Margaret said, Melchizedek, Abraham worshipped, not worshipped, but he honored him and gave him part of what was his. The spoils, yeah. Right. And Melchizedek gave him the percentage of the spoil. No, other way around. Abraham gave him Melchizedek. Yeah. Okay, that, that's, that's one situation. The other situation I'm thinking about is where he was almost ready to take his son's life. Because he right. God asked him to do it, and he showed the willingness to do it. And then at that point, the ram appeared. And and, and and I think that was more for Abraham's benefit because God knew his heart. God yeah. knew what he would do. But Abraham probably didn't know how much he trusted God until that moment. Good point. I don't think that story is about offering. I agree, yeah. I think that story is, is a setting of the stage for the sacrifice, the redemptive sacrifice of Christ. That... God did what God gave his son in a way that he had first commanded Abraham to give up Isaac, but then had spared Abraham the necessity of doing it. 
God did what he did not require out of Abraham. And Isaac was the Abraham Isaac was the first step in the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, the, the promise by God to Abraham, the covenant that his descendants would be it, it was really his descendants will be the key to redeeming humanity. And, and so the connection between Isaac and Christ and what God did not require of Abraham but what God did himself. So I think that's a completely different story with a completely different point. I wanted to mention <coughs> a, a, a couple, I guess it's been a month or so ago, <coughs> I got one of the first um, books hot off the press on killing Jesus. And it it really gives, it's not an evangelical type book, but it's it's more historical. And it gives a lot of information on what you are talking about. It's not a thick book, you know, it's a little book. But it tells all about what you've been going over in uh, even more, more detail. You know, something I saw today that I've never seen before because I just went through the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, but I've never gone back at this point in time. You go to the end of chapter 11, and, it, and Jesus says, Thank you, Father, for hiding these mysteries from the wise and learned and revealing them to the children. And then he starts pre-teaching in parables to reveal the truth to some and hide it from others. And I've never connected that back here. The wise men had the least knowledge of all, and the scribes and, and Pharisees had the most. And yet, what you said, he revealed it to the shepherds and the wise men and not to us. Thanks be to God. We will see you next week and talk the Christmas story. <laughs>